I'm Stephanie Hell, co-host of Get Inspired and Innovate, a part of the Education Podcast Network, just like the show you're listening to now. Shows on the network are individually owned and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other interesting education podcasts at edupodcastnetwork.com. and welcome to Kindergarten Kiosk. I'm Lindsay. And I'm Kathy. And today we're going to talk about kindergarten science. One of our favorite We love science. My love of science began as a young child. When I remember at school, we put the magnifying glass on the sidewalk and had a wadded up piece of Kleenex and held it there for the sun to start the Kleenex on fire. It was always so much fun. I loved doing it. And Wait, you did it more than once? Oh, yeah, once. we did it all the time. Because after we did it as a class experiment with the teacher, she let us take them out for recess. <laughs> and then just start and fires? just start fires. Okay. Cool, cool. <laughs> hey, it was fun. Cool, we were cool. experimenting and playing. And uh-huh. I remember that shortly after we did that first experiment, I was sick. I had the... German measles and so I was home for quite a while and I was on the couch and with a blanket bored and I had a big roll of toilet paper by me because my nose was running constantly and we didn't I wasn't allowed to watch television so I think I did a lot of staring at walls (laughs) and so I remember one day the power went out and my mom had put a bunch of candles around to keep me warm and I was blowing my nose with a Kleenex and I looked at the candle and I thought huh I wonder if this toilet paper would burn if I put it on the candle <laughs> it was a scientific <laughs> hypothesis of will it burn and so I've started fires at school before. Yeah, my I know teacher how to, let us an do it. This. And so I put the Kleenex on the candle and it did start on fire and it scared me. Imagine I that. Never did, did I seriously burn. didn't know if it was going to work or not. And I threw the Kleenex <laughs> on fire over against the window and the drape caught on fire. And so I just screamed <laughs> for my mom and she came and... Uh, put the fire out and got mad at me and probably let me watch TV from that point on while, <laughs> <laughs> while I was sick. So I do remember as a young child, I was probably maybe first grade-ish, I do remember as a young child having that curiosity that young children naturally have. And so science is a great vehicle to take children to their cure and teach them to start <laughs> fires well if you want to do that magnifying one i no, would no 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 this podcast is not recommending that anybody take kids no, outside and as a and child you know i also magnifying glasses. i also didn't wear a seat belt and rode freely in the back of pickup trucks <laughs> Kathy's opinions are her own and do not represent the views of this podcast <laughs> 
<laughs> so we're going to talk a little bit about the next generation science standards, which include learning about forces and interactions and include learning about energy and um, living things and observation and data and climate and weather and all kinds of fun things. But before we do, let's talk a little bit about some of the mindsets and materials and practices that you can put in place that work for any science activity that you're going to do in your classroom. So I think the first thing that you need to do when you're preparing your class to be a science um, Yeah. So I think the first thing you need to do to prepare your students to learn and to think scientifically is to remember the importance of scaffolding and fostering student conversations and scientific learning. I remember that in a class when I was in early childhood child development um, classes, Early on, we had a class where we had to practice talking to a child about what they were doing. It was like exhausting because we had to, a child was maybe playing with Play-Doh. So we had to go over and practice all of the questions we could ask the child to think about while they're playing with the Play-Doh without guiding them to do anything different with the Play-Doh. It's just that every movement, it's like, oh, I see that you took your Play-Doh apart. What did that feel like with your fingers? And, <laughs> and it was really a lot of um, strenuous practice. But then the more that I, the more, the more that, <laughs> but then the more I did that and practiced, the more natural it became and the more important you could see it is to make students think of the next level of what they're doing. And so I think having those conversations with your students is important. And I do know it's hard to do because at a free play or a science center or at center time or your station time or whatever you're calling that small group work time, you want to be at a table doing your guided reading, your guided math, and the last thing you want to do is get up from your table and walk around and have conversations with your student. And so about their Play-Doh. Play <laughs> and because we know it's important, I think that that is an important thing to schedule into your week. So especially early on at the beginning of the year, I made sure that one day a week, my center time, my center was I was just going to go around and interact and scaffold with my students. And I think it's really important because it makes your children really think more about what they're doing. So learning to scaffold and bring your child, your students to the next level, it, it's not a natural thing and it doesn't come easy. So I think I would suggest maybe making a list of about five or six questions and beginning with those, going around and asking your students, what are you thinking as you're observing them do a project? What else do you think is possible to do? What do you need to do in order to change that? What do you notice when that's happening? What does that remind you of? 
hmm, I wonder what would happen if you did that different. Another thing you need to do is um, have things ready. I like to have a toolbox. Basically, it's a box. You mean you like to be ready to go? I like to be ready to go. <laughs> <laughs> I like to have a box called, and I call it the toolbox, because I want students to um, look at it as tools they can use for their projects that we're going to do when it comes to science. Actually, it's a box of junk. <laughs> you can ask parents to bring, at the beginning of the year, I just ask parents to bring a list of different things like uh, straws, foil, sticks, clay, marbles, yarn, twigs, toothpicks, yo-yos, little matchbox cars, things like that. Egg cartons. You could have used plastic containers or toilet paper or paper towel tubes or empty cereal boxes or those terrible styrofoam things that come in your packages in the mail <laughs> yes kids would love yes, that they would. any kind of packing material another thing you want to do is you want to make sure that you give your students a lot of opportunities to know what problem solving is i think to begin you would just you would want to point out what a problem solving activity is but then use that vocabulary with your students somebody's shoes untied um how would you problem solve your shoe being untied i mean just kind of use that vocabulary a little bit so that students actually learn when you ask them to problem solve that they will know what problem solving is Another one is to make sure that you recognize the background knowledge of your students. Know where your students are from. Know what their vocabulary background is. And those kind of things are important because you need to take your child or students from where they are to where you want them to be. Make sure that you teach your students how to envision. Just as in reading, metacognition is really important. Um, envisioning is important to a young child to think scientifically. A child needs to know that they can think about envisioning them in a different place. Like that's why women are so happy that there's a black woman vice president, right? Because students can now envision more easily that that would be a possibility for them. Or when man stepped on the moon, it was at that point in my life easier to envision that I could be an astronaut if I wanted to be. So envisioning is important. You want to open the possibilities to your students that they can see themselves in another opportunity. And just like metacognition, it needs to be taught. It's not a natural thing for students to take themselves and put them in another um, thought. So another thing you want to make sure to prepare your students to be scientific learners is teaching them how to record data. I like to have a science journal that I teach the students how to use and every time we do anything in science they go get that journal, turn to the next page and record what we did that day through pictures, through words and share it. Share what they have done with their peers. Another thing that you can do with your um, scientific recording data 
is do it just on a page and put it in the student authentic por portfolio. So I had one student and his I had taught five of his siblings and this was child number five and he brought home his student portfolio at the end of the year and she called me up and she said oh my gosh I finally get it on the fifth child I finally get it I always had thought that you probably should have had an adult at the table to help the kids get their stuff just right on their portfolio <laughs> pages and today my son brought his book home and we sat down and looked at it page through page and as he rubbed the page and talked fondly about how he had made it and created it or talked about the things that he had written about or recorded I finally discovered that that's the reason for a portfolio it's for the child <laughs> ta-da <laughs> ta-da who'd have thunk so let's jump into the standards I think one exciting thing about the next generation science standards is they're really made up about things that kindergarten students or young children really just encounter All right, in their so life. So the first standard for kindergarten is to plan and conduct an investigation to compare the effects of different strengths or different directions of pushes or pulls on the motion of an object and then analyze data to determine if a solution works as they intended to change the speed or direction of an object with a push or a pull. So this standard of motion and stability can easily be accomplished at the block center. First, you need to make sure that you have given your students a, a lot of opportunity to just play, just to play in the block center to get familiar with the material. And then after, they have had a few days of playing in the blocks. You want to give them a challenge, and a challenge um, will it will deepen their thinking and direct their play. That will move them into actually doing a science experiment. So after they've had this opportunity, you want to say today at the block center, I'm going to give you these cars, and I want you to think about how you can build something at the block center that will move a car from one place to a different place without using your hands, your feet, or any part of your body. You can use your hands as a tool, or you could use your hands as, or you can use something from the toolbox, and you know, that box of junk. <laughs> Put it there and then at the end I want you to share what you've done in your science journal. So you can have it abstract and open like this and let the children come up with their own ideas or I like to do one where I just gave them yarn and pencils and the little matchbox cars and I told them that the matchbox cars were on this side of the carpet and they had to be on the other side of the carpet and they could only use the pencil and the string to move the car across the carpet. So figure out what you could do or what you could build to cause the car to move across the carpet using only a yarn and a pencil. The kids loved that one. It was always a big hit. Yeah, and so after your center time when all of the students have had a chance to do this activity, 
then you go to your science journal, open it up and have the students record their data. And then after they've recorded, it's really important to have them walk around and share their findings and what they did with other students. And then the next day have the materials available once again so that they perhaps could try something a friend tried or come up with a new idea. All right, so our next standard after forces and interactions and pushes and pulls is energy. And the students are supposed to make observations to determine the effect of sunlight on the Earth's surface and to use tools and materials to design and build something that will reduce the warming effect of sunlight. Energy is pretty awesome. Energy comes in lots of forms. Energy is awesome. Energy. I wish I had more I of it. Well, I was just going to say energy can come from a can of Coke. <laughs> 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 energy can come from heat, from light, from sound. And the sun is our Earth's energy source. So it's really great for your students to have a chance to experience how the heat is coming from the sun to the earth. And a good way to do it is by giving your students an ice cube, or you could do it also with a chocolate bar. And they can take it outside of your classroom and place it in a place you could talk about before about shade and heat and the different um, ways the sun affects the earth depending on if it's full sun or shaded sun. And then have your students choose a place to put their item and then go back outside probably, I usually put it out at morning recess time and then check it at, after lunch recess and then go out and check our items. And the students who have put their um, ice cubes in the shade generally the ice cube is still there or partially there or in the winter all of the ice cubes are still there <laughs> yeah. uh, if you put out a chocolate bar I did discover that some of your chocolate bars are covered in ants <laughs> Ooh, lovely. yeah now that wasn't really great so think about that before you do the chocolate bars <laughs> So after you've done this experiment, you can talk to your students about um, how people can use that sun's energy to their advantage. So if you want to make your ice cube or chocolate last longer, how could you build something that would protect it from the energy of the sun? And so you once again get that toolbox out and have your students construct something to this time when they take their ice cube or chocolate out. They will then cover it with this covering that they've made to see if it will, re will reduce the effect of the sun. Okay, so the next one we're, that we're gonna talk about is use observations to describe patterns of what plants and animals, including humans, need to survive. So one of the easiest ways to fulfill this scientific standard is to have a class pet or a class plant. I am not plant, a class pet person. Something, I'm, I'm sure a lot of, that's why I said plant for those who don't want to have a pet. 
You know, it's amazing because there's a, a teacher that had a bunny across from me. Oh my gosh, it stunk. It was terrible. I didn't get it. <laughs> and at that time, I'd rather have been a plant person. But then I discovered <laughs> that you can easily have fish and turtles and frogs and ladybugs and those kind of pets that are less intrusive. I can have, I, I brought in ladybugs. I didn't mind ladybugs. I didn't like fish and frogs. That wasn't my favorite. I don't think I'd do it again. <laughs> well, to fulfill this standard, you don't need to bring in an animal. You need to... I can bring, you in, can a bring plant. in a plant. Because they both need to be tended to survive. They both need things to live. So when you're introducing your creature... <laughs> your living your thing. living thing. Let's say a plant... You can say, what do we need to do to keep this alive? Now, I noticed that when you're talking about an animal, the kids freely and readily talk about things like, you know, food, water. But you ask them about a plant, and I've noticed that most children think that the plant will just survive on its own. It doesn't need any tending. Have you noticed that? I, I can see why they would think that because they have experience tending animals and the plants just grow outside and they're just there. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So I have found that if you're doing a plant, you really need to do a lot more scaffolding and talk about if it's neglected, the plant will die because most children don't realize that they just think plants have this magic power of staying alive because well they okay, do have this do, magic right? power of getting <laughs> energy from the sun which is pretty magical magic so. that is pretty magical so take your new pet or plant and kind of brainstorm with the students what it needs to stay alive and then make a chart that you can post by your plant or animal. So I've got these new little tadpoles that we're gonna watch turn into frogs. What do we need to do to make them survive? Well, we've gotta place them in a place that's mm -hmm. not right on the heater, right? <laughs> they have to have, uh, they have, but they have to stay warm. They need to have a place where the light's going to shine on them, at least for a portion of the day. They need to have food. And so after we brainstorm all of this, then we can make this chart and then come up with a chore chart. Okay, someone needs to check every day to make sure that the frog is in the correct place, getting all that stuff they need. Someone needs to give them food. And students really enjoy tending living things. I know some teachers actually have students take them home for weekends with them to their home. I had a friend who had hermit crabs and she called it hermit crab weekend and the kids looked forward when they had a time to take the their little crabs home mm -hmm. and keep them alive over the weekend. <laughs> I was never that brave. <laughs> Although when I had the turtle that stays alive forever, I probably would have loved <laughs> to send it home for the summer. <laughs> All right. And Students love taking care of animals and plants. They love nurturing, and it's a great place that they can record um, along a year about the same activity of watching it grow, getting new leaves, 
changing from a tadpole to a frog. Uh, the recording portion of the standard is endless. Should we read the next one? Okay, so the next one yeah. is use and share observations of local weather conditions to describe patterns over time. So Earth Systems is a perfect time to do a thematic unit on weather. I love thematic units on weather. They just are so open-ended and have so many possibilities. Or you can just simply do weather in your morning meetings every day, graph and record what the weather is. It's a great way to introduce students to pay attention to the weather. I loved having the meteorologists from our local news channel come to the classroom. I never had problems having That's them come. So you really might want to cool. check with your local Yeah, you might want to check with your local station. Um, the name of ours was Ken Tory from Local News 8. <laughs> and he would come and do the cutest activity with the students. And before he came, I showed them a meter a meteorologist report on the channel and they would watch and see what he was doing and then he came and did a really cute presentation with them and actually recorded them saying <laughs> something for his weather forecast so um, I'm sure that you will be able to find someone to come in if not you know there's endless places to find things on YouTube about a meteorologist and one of my most fun things to do after he comes into the classroom and after we've watched a few news report is to turn the playhouse into a I weather reporting playhouse. station. When you set it up as a weather station, it's simply like put some map maps on the wall and have pointers, have a microphone, a video camera. I had a um, play one that I found. I think it was a Lakeshore video camera. Or I had like broken cameras, just old cameras that you took the battery out so they were safe. And um, once I actually let students take my, an old iPhone in and record their real weather channels. And then I cut it apart and made a little movie for the kids to watch. And so I would suggest that it turned out really cute and the kids loved it. Yeah, it's fun to have some clothes in there, like some suit coats and maybe some ties and just turn them loose. They've watched the news report, the weather report on television. They had a meteorologist come. We've read some books about weather and meteorologists. And so now they have a chance to act it out. All right. Do you want another one? I'll give you another one. Okay. So, okay. I'm going to, I'm going to say a few at the same time. So use a model to represent the relationship between the needs of different plants or animals, including humans, and the places that they live. Construct an argument supported by evidence for how plants and animals, including humans, can change the environment to meet their needs. And communicate solutions that will reduce the impact of humans on land, water, air, and or other living things in their local environment. All right, so these standards and activities can build upon the standard of Earth systems. So let's look at the weatherman that we had and talking about how to predict the weather. Well, why do we care? Why do we care if the weatherman is predicting the weather? 
So we could do a great uh, little game where you choose a student to be the weather predictor and he'll draw a weather card out of a box and he'll tell the students, okay, tomorrow is snowy, what do you need to do? And then the students can raise their hand and talk about different ways to prepare for weather. Or you can have a little dressing bear over in the science center or even in your math meeting area, you could have, um, I've seen like lakeshore activities where you can dress something that matches the weather of the day. And so we can talk about how it's important to know the predictions of the weather so we can be prepared. So what if it was snowy today and you open the door and you're all dressed ready to go outside and you've got on shorts and a flip-flop? So another thing you can talk with your students is like, what about Dorothy in The Wizard of Oz? Some weather conditions can be dangerous. She had a dangerous activity happen after a tornado, right? <laughs> so you can talk about different weather elements. Um, my students love tornado tubes and different little tornado things that you can put in your science center for them to actually experiment and see what a tornado is like. And talk about why we need to prepare for weather. Like what can you do if the weatherman, the meteorologist comes on and predicts a tornado. What can people do to protect them from this dangerous weather and come up with things that you could do, like put cover your windows with boards. And I think I would keep this one directed well, to your locale. So, yes. Just oh, for oh, clarification, whew, thank <laughs> a lot of these standards say that. They say just talk about your local weather oh. and your local severe weather, your local environment, which... Cool. That's kind of what I've li I like about these standards is it is really what the kids are mm -hmm. doing and where they are living. So if you live in tornado country, you would certainly want to focus on tornadoes or hurricanes now, um, in Idaho, we'd want to focus about blizzards and preparing for snow. Now, here in Nevada, we need to prepare for extreme heat, what you do to protect yourself from the heat and those hot 115-degree summer days. Drought would be another one. So if we think about relationships, I think one thing you want our students to understand is we need plants and we need animals to survive. For example, a sheep eats a plant and we <laughs> eat the sheep. <laughs> so a great way to do this standard would to put it in your farm unit. I'm a farmer and I have a whole farm to run. So what do I need to do and what are the relationships I have with my animals and what do they have with the farmer? Now they're gonna depend on me for some things and I'm going to depend on the animals for some things. So if I'm a farmer, I also want to be a responsible farmer. I've lived on farms and I have seen farms of irresponsible farmers. In fact, I've seen cows standing on manure piles so tall that the cow could probably oh, just gross. walk over the fence if he put oh, his mind to it. <laughs> so would that be You're responsible? Not, the, the no, the farmer we have very well. <laughs> oh, I've, I I've really seen you. farms like that. <laughs> 
and I'm not going to name any names, but I could. I was thinking that was probably what it was. <laughs> and so that is one way that you can affect your environment is, and change environment for the better is um, you can make sure that you take like the cow manure and spread it in your fields with the manure spreader. And then that manure will, or I'll call it poop for a kindergarten kid, <laughs> will help the plants grow. And another way that you can um, be a good steward of your environment and your farm is to make sure that um, animals don't overgraze. When I was a child, we had to, we had sheep up on the play hill and we had to go and move the sheep from one area to another because if you left the sheep in one area too long, it would eat the stuff down till the actual ground would be dead and it wouldn't make any more plants for the animals to eat. So just being a farmer isn't just having the animals and the plants, it's actually being responsible with the animals and plants that you are the steward over. And I think that that's a really good way to um, help your students All understand right, so this standard. The last thing we're going to talk about is incorporating the engineering design process into kindergarten, which they need to ask questions, make observations, and gather information about a situation people want to change, develop a sketch to illustrate how the shape of an object can help it solve a problem, and then test their designs to see if they can actually solve the problem. So what do you have to say about the engineering process in kindergarten? So one thing that you want to make sure you have is that toolbox We love the beautiful junk. junk. <laughs> and <laughs> I stole that yes, from another teacher. She called and it have beautiful parents. junk. And I think that was an awesome Oh, she called it beautiful call. junk. Your classroom supplies. That is. For this stuff. It is. But they're so important to have because you want your students to have the opportunity to create out of useless items, <laughs> right? And so, let me start over. So, because you have this great toolbox beautiful of beautiful junk, as you call it then you can give your students activities that focus on what you're teaching. So when I'm doing weather, for example, I can have my students construct a little house out of craft sticks. And I always did it by Lincoln, Abraham Lincoln Day in the old days. <laughs> we would make Aww. Abraham Lincoln's cabin. I know, it was so cute. And... Then I would tell the students, the meteorologist just predicted rain. How are you going to make sure that it doesn't rain inside of your house? And so students at this point will have to figure out what they could put on the roof to make it not rain. And so make sure in your toolbox you have foil, you have rubber mats, or anything that your students can actually make a roof to protect their house. Another thing I like to do is... Um, base all these engineering projects on fairy tales and stories like building houses for pigs or a bridge for goats or the beanstalk for Jack or a rainbow or a leprechaun trap for your leprechaun or how can you get the cookies from 
Little Red Riding Hood's house to Grandma's without Little Red Riding Hood ever going through the woods. Or how to make a castle for Sleeping Beauty, or a bed for the Princess and the Pea, or a tower for Rapunzel, or a way to protect Humpty Dumpty when he falls, or a chair Goldilocks would be comfortable in, or a magic carpet for Aladdin. Whatever story you're teaching, it's really easy to make, take it to an engineering uh, process, and students love it. And so I take my science journal one further step when I'm doing this. I always make sure that they do a planning page. So, oh, there's a bug. So I take the, um, the job we're going to do. For example, today we're going to build a carriage for Cinderella. And so I will have them actually plan what they're going to do in their science journal. Then they'll go do it, the activity, and then they'll record if they were able to follow their plan or what they did to build the carriage. And if you need to keep track of if they've learned the science standards or not, I know a good program you can use to keep track of if they understand this or not. It's called ESGI. You want to talk about it? <laughs> I really think that you really could put your science standards on ESGI. In fact, they might already be there. But it, you could add your science standards and just put it on as a checklist. You can, one thing you can do, and I have done a lot on ESGI, and I, in fact, I don't know if other th people have even thought about this, but I put like things I need to accomplish, like standards I want to teach, and then check them <laughs> off and give me a score. You give so if I put like the science standards, I do. So then I can see if I've taught that standard. So we could make the national science standards the category and then put each standard in as a test and as you've taught it or you're like one day you've taught a lesson you're like hey wait a minute i covered that standard then you go in and score it and then your little pie will fill in and you'll know when all of your standards have been taught but it's also a great way to assess your students in math and reading make sure you sign up for esgi at esgisoftware.com and use the code kiosk k-i-o-s-k to receive a 60-day trial. You'll need a code to get that full 60-day trial. And when you fall in love with it, you'll save, I think Ooh. it's now $50 off of your subscription if you have used that code kiosk. So go grab ESGI today, you'll love it. Well, we hope this has given you some ideas for your science lessons, and we hope everybody's doing well. Take care, everyone. Take care. Kindergarten Kiosk is a proud member of the Education Podcast Network, a network of podcasts for educators by educators. For more information, visit edupodcastnetwork.com. That's E-D-U podcastnetwork.com. Now can I listen to it?